Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, and woke him and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown?" He got up, rebooked the wind, and said to the waves, "Quiet, be still." Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?" They were terrified and asked. Each other, who is this? He even the wind and the waves obey him. Thanks so much for that reading, Mia. A quick commercial break before we jump in.、Um, I have encouraged our congregation to join in this Thursday in a time of fasting and prayer. If you're on our email list. Uh, you got an email about that, and you'll get another this week explaining more. We're going to end our fast together with a Zoom call on Thursday night, one at 7:30 and one at 8:30. So whichever is more convenient for you,、uh, jump on with us if you would, and we'd love to have you join. All of you who are able. So we've been for several weeks、um, talking about the autobiography of God, and here's our thesis: God essentially wrote His character and His nature. Through the life and the story of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to talk about a critically important aspect of what God is like. This is the, this is really the if you miss everything else, don't miss this principle about God. Here it is. God is holy.、Uh, one author I read suggested that holiness. Is so central to God that calling God holy is almost like calling God God.、Uh, holy is associated with God's name as a as a name or as an epithet more than any other,、uh, more than Almighty, for instance. When Isaiah saw a vision of God in a time of national calamity in Isaiah chapter six, his response is, "Holy, holy, holy." And according to Revelation five fourteen, God's holiness is the crux of why He is to be feared. So, what is holiness, and why would it cause us to fear Him? Again, this is a setup for our explanation of the passage that Mia read for us. So, holiness. Whenever you see that word used in the Bible, it means essentially two things. Secondarily, it means moral perfection. What one author called quote. The sum of all of his moral excellency. 
It is purity in its highest and purest form. It is reality unsullied by shadow or change or any contamination. It is absolute and perfect integrity. But primarily, the, the first understanding of holiness is otherness. Holiness is category-defying. There's nothing like it. It is utter uniqueness. Everything that is, let's imagine, everything that is, put it in one category. So the stars in the sky, the air that we breathe, the, the rocks and clay in our yard, our driveway, our children's hair, boys and girls, your noses and your ears, all of that. There are lots of categories there, right? There are vegetables and there are chemicals and there, there are animals, but all of that, let's put all of that in one category. And then over here, in a category all by itself, God. That's the primary understanding of holiness. The, the words that are often associated with holiness in the Bible are majestic, glorious, wonderful. In fact, we find all of those words used in one verse in, in Exodus chapter 15, 11, which says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. He's getting rhapsodic. Awesome in glory. Working wonders are wonderful in deeds. So, this may be the primary reason that God, when he's truly known, is greatly feared. Because there's no adequate explanation. There's no category. He's beyond our understanding. He cannot be domesticated. We cannot contain him. We sometimes think of God as a better version of ourselves, but this is decidedly not the case. God is wholly other in a category all by himself, completely unique. Okay, that brings us to the story that uh, Mia read for us this morning. And if I may, I'm going to put this story um, not so much in its biblical context, but in the context of my life, if I can. Uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip. Uh, it was 1991, and we went to the country of Romania, and this was just after a Ceausescu had fallen, and uh, Romania, the communist structure, the communist government had fallen, and Romania had just begun to open to the rest of the world. And a youth group from one of the southern states in the United States, took a trip to Romania to do some mission work there. I was a friend of the pastor of the youth group, so he invited me to go. So I went along. I had already started pastoring a church. I was in Boston, Massachusetts at the time. I went with this group over to Romania, and we had a great trip. We went to public schools, if you can imagine that, and they let us go into these public schools, public schools, and talk about Jesus. At one point toward the end of the week, uh, the group had ended its day, and I, my memory is fuzzy about how this happened. And I have to tell you, honestly, this whole experience was surreal. I didn't even know exactly what was happening while it was happening. But uh, this Romanian guy comes on our bus and begins to talk, and, and then he makes this public announcement. All these kids are around. I'm sitting in the back goofing off with the youth pastor, and he says, there is a, a large... Um, a, um, communist cathedral that's in, you know, the next community over. And it was sort of the regional communist assembly hall 
during Ceausescu, the Ceausescu era, and a number of people are gathered there for something. I don't remember what, some kind of performance. I told them that, you know, they know there's a group of Americans here or the organizers of this thing knew that there was a group of Americans here. And they were wondering if there was an American that could come speak and maybe even talk about your faith. So I'm minding my own business. I think this is very interesting. And all of a sudden, everybody at the bus looks at me. I thought, wait, what? Completely unprepared for this. I mean, they wanted us to go right then. So all eyes on me, all fingers point to me. Okay, so I leave the bus. I go with this guy. I don't really know who he is. And we go to this big uh, assembly hall, this communist assembly hall. On the way there, I didn't have time to be nervous. I would have been extremely nervous if I'd had enough time, but I thought, what am I going to talk about? And I had had an awesome, mind-blowing, devotional time just that week with this passage of Scripture, the passage of Scripture that Mia read for us. And I felt like for the first time in my life, I saw the face of God's holiness. I think that's what God showed here in this passage. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell this story, and then I'm going to say, you know, this is the face of God's holiness, and then I'll walk off the stage. We go in the back of this assembly hall. You know, I don't, don't see anything about it. And we're actually behind the curtain. At a certain point, curtain pulls apart, and I walk out onto the stage, and it's just me and an interpreter. And this place is filled wall to wall, standing room only. There are people, it's giant. I don't know how many hundreds of people were there. Romanians are milling around, they're talking, and they're not exactly, they're not exactly paying attention. You get the clear impression that I'm the warm-up act. I'm, I'm not what they're there for. They're not really listening, and I'm supposed to come up to this microphone and begin talking. So I thought, you know, I've got to capture their attention somehow. I'd spoken through a, an interpreter before, but this is just this very awkward scene, and I'm thinking to myself, nothing is going to happen here. But I started you know, doing a song and dance to just try to get their attention. I'm juggling, I'm telling the story. And of course, the story that I'm telling is Jesus has been speaking to a crowd of people. And pretty quickly, I realized that my interpreter was very, very good. As I said, I've spoken through interpreters before, but I'd never spoken through anybody as good as this. I would start speaking and he would, be, he would be filling in before I even finished my sentence. He was almost up with me. And as I was doing movements, he was as well, poor guy. So I'm thinking I need to entertain this, this group of people and grab their attention. So Jesus, you know, he's been teaching and he decides he's going to get in the boat, get away from the crowd and go to the other side of the river. And he gets in the boat. And as I'm doing all this, the interpreter is doing all this. He's right behind me. It was after a while, I completely forgot he was even there. And I'm telling the story and little by little, they began to pay a little bit of attention, but, you know, the crowd is still not completely with me, and I get more and more animated, and as I do, they're probably thinking this guy's an idiot, but they began to tune in, and I, I tell about how the Sea of Galilee, you know, it's a fairly small sea, and at the time in my own life, I had not been there, but I have now, and I know that it, it is a small, it's really a lake. It's surrounded on kind of three and a half sides by mountains, I've never been there in a storm, but I understand storms in the Sea of Galilee can be fierce. They, they sink into this bowl, and they get caught in that bowl, and, that, and the Sea of Galilee just becomes this wicked, uh, evil soup that churns up, especially ancient Near Eastern fishing vessels. 
Now, people like Jesus' disciples, who had spent their entire life as fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, they knew these storms well. And they knew that if you were on the Sea of Galilee in one of these storms, it was almost certain that your life would be lost. So the, the, Jesus and his disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee in an ancient Near Eastern boat, and the storm comes sweeping into the Sea of Galilee, and the sea begins to toss, and it gets extremely ugly. Jesus is asleep in the boat. And the disciples are worried. They're bailing water out of the boat. As I'm doing this, the, you know, the interpreter is talking in Romanian, bailing water as well. And they're terrified, and they're, or they're afraid. Let's say that. They're afraid. And they go, wait, Jesus. And they say, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown. And th then Jesus stands up, and now I'm, I'm looking out, and finally, people are beginning to look at me. I, I stand, you know, I've been sort of sitting on a stool, and I stand up, and I yell as loud as I can. I said, quiet! And there was no noise. The interpreter didn't say a word. You could hear a pin drop in the whole auditorium. And I was unsure for a minute what had happened. And I look over, and there are huge tears streaming down my interpreter's face. This was one of the most powerful God moments in my life. It was one of those moments in which God's actual presence feels like it crystallizes in front of you. You have to understand that, that this room, just a few years earlier, had been a cathedral to atheism. And it was transformed into a revival center by the story of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, by the power of God's holiness on display. I, I let the interpreter collect himself, as I'm obviously needing to do now. And uh, <laughs> about 30 seconds later, he tried to yell out, quiet, and do my hand motions. And then I went on with the story. By the way, it has an incredible end. Uh, after Jesus yells quiet, the sea gets completely calm. And I love this part of the story. The disciples look at Jesus, and Mark in his account uses an intensified word for afraid. They're more afraid. They're terrified at what has just happened. Matthew tells us, in his account of this story, the disciples look at one another and they say, what kind of man is this? What category of man is this? Who does this? Look, I've got to pause here for a moment and say, if you don't know Jesus as your rescuer and savior, if you've never made him the director and Lord of your life, then today is the day in your kitchen, or your den, or, or wherever you're watching. Reach out now. Pray. God, I need you. I've blown it in so many ways. I've sinned against you and against others. There's a storm that I need you to still inside of me. Come into my life and make me new. Help me to grow in my understanding of how to connect to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you, if you prayed that kind of prayer for the first time this morning, let us know. Uh, send out a, a 
prayer emoji in the comments section or, or let us know. I would like for someone to speak to me and we'll get in touch with you. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. As I think about us, there are two things that spill out of this remarkable story for me. Number one, we don't need to be afraid. There's no storm that the holy God cannot still. I don't know if you caught this when Mia was reading the story, but Jesus is asleep in the boat. And the disciples go, wake him up. Lord, don't you care? We're drowning. And Jesus actually challenges them for their lack of faith. Haven't you seen what my life is about? Haven't you seen what I can do? Why are you worried? We don't need to be afraid. There is no financial crisis. There is no virus that is beyond the command of the holy God, the creator of the universe. So let's go to him and rest in him and trust in him. We don't need to be afraid. The second thing that spills out of the story to me, for us, do you know how the, for us, do you, do you know how the followers of Christ are most often referred to in the New Testament? How they're talked about in the New Testament? They're only called Christians twice in the whole New Testament. The first followers and us after them are, are called disciples repeatedly. And this tells us a lot, doesn't it? Because the word disciple means student. I mean, we are students of Jesus. But perhaps more than anything else, Christ's followers in the New Testament are called the hagios. That's, that's the Greek word. That word sometimes is translated people of God because it's used so often and so generically. Sometimes it's translated saints. It's actually the word for holy ones. Holy one. That's us. When God wants to show the face of holiness, when God wants to put a face on holiness, he displays us. He shows people us. We are holy. We are holy because he lives inside of us. This whole category, over here God. We're over here because he lives inside of us. The Bible tells us that repeatedly. And let's remember, let's remember that. Let's remember that truth in, in the days of when we're in the thick of the coronavirus, when God wants to show the face of holiness, he shows us. God's holiness, in a sense, is his essence. It is his complete otherness. And yet, he deposits that very quality in us and then through us shows himself to the world. So, this week, go be holy as God is holy. And don't be afraid. There's no storm that can withstand his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, for your holiness on display, for all the world to see. Calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee and able to calm every storm in our lives. Your complete otherness come close. 
your absolute uniqueness drawn near. And he's available to us now, still, today. We thank you. Father, I pray for any whose heart has been stirred in a new way. Jesus, seeing you in a new light, seeing you in a new way, I pray that you would speak clearly in a way that we can understand. And for those of us, Lord, who have walked with you for a while, remind us of your utter otherness, complete mystery to us, and yet you've drawn near and you've shown us yourself because you love us, because you want us to know you. Teach us, Lord, as we offer all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.